0: Hey, what's up everybody, this is Craig Dyson. My wife, Kara, and I are the pastors of Convo Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and builds your faith. Enjoy the message. So today, uh, my wife is going to be preaching, and I want to say something. I want to, I want to, I want to say something uh, before she gets up here. Um, I wanna honor her, Pastor Kara. She is, um, let me say this, she's not just a pastor wife. She's not just the moral support for my personal ministry. Uh, she is a woman that for 18 years together, plus we have, we have served together, we have uh, pastored together in different capacities over the years. Uh, my wife is called. My wife is anointed. My wife has the goods. My wife has something that God has placed inside of her. Uh, she is not only called for women's ministry, God has given her a voice and a wisdom to speak to the church. And so, God's given her a word today, and I should shut up so I'm taking her time so she can get up here. Uh, but can you all do me a favor and can you guys give my wife and your pastor, Pastor Kara, a welcome as she comes up? Wow,
1: you guys are so kind, my gosh. So John 8, 1 through 11, Um, gosh, I'm so excited. Jesus walked up the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. They said to Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? <laughs> These guys. Whew. They they were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Gosh, I love Jesus, man. Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their questions. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent down again to anger them even more, bent down again um, and wrote some more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman, still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers now? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then certainly, sorry, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go and from now on be free from a life of sin. Jesus, we just thank you so much that you are good, that you are God, and that you have good things for your children who call upon your name, who say yes to you, that there is forgiveness, that there is grace, that there is a life free from the things that could hold us back. That we don't have to live in that life, but that we can move forward. God, I just pray right now that every single person who hears my voice in here would have soft hearts for your word, would be able to, to feel your presence in this place. God, we give this time to you. God, fill me with your presence so that I can communicate clearly and concise exactly what you want me to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I started praying about what to speak about, what the Lord wanted me to speak about today, um, he immediately, immediately, like usually it's like a, oh, like you kind of like roll it over in your head. You're like, maybe this, maybe that. It was immediate forgiveness. Immediate. And I was like, oh, gosh, that... That, that was strong. So, so what is it, God? What is it about forgiveness that you want to communicate to these amazing people? Um, and so I at first started to, to think about um, the forgiveness that we are supposed to extend as Jesus followers. That was the first thought in my head. And Jesus said, no, you need to start, start with me because it all starts with Jesus. It all starts and ends in Jesus. So if we don't receive that initial transaction of forgiveness from Jesus, how are we ever supposed to give it out? How? So how great is the love and the grace of God that he, um, that he will pour that into us? When we say yes to him, he will pour that into us. He will say, yes, your sins are forgiven. But... The end of that. The the end of that. Now go and be free from a life of sin. So he will extend that grace. He will extend that forgiveness, and it's beautiful. It is a beautiful transaction of grace. But we cannot extend to others what has what we have not received ourselves. So in this in this text, sorry, one second, I need a drink of water, or my mouth is going to get all dry. So in this text. I'm going to paint the picture of what what was kind of going on when this happened. Um, the Feast of Tabernacles had just just gotten over. This was like the day after the Feast of Tabernacles. So that's also called, different versions will have it say different things. So Festival of Shelters or Festival of Booths. So that had just gotten over. I'm going to give you guys a little history lesson. And these are things that I just researched in doing this. And so there's some cool things about this feast that um, that Jesus was at, and cool things that not not super cool, but things that had happened prior to this, just prior to this, that um, that kind of was stirring the waters. And so it's it's one of the three p- pilgrimage festivals that um, that the the Jewish people celebrate. So there was a lot of people in Jerusalem at the time. There was a lot of people. So there could have still been some people um, left over in town from that. Um, But during the Feast of Tabernacles, um, the Jewish people were commanded to to come together to celebrate God's provision in the wilderness. So when they they exited Egypt, um, they went through the wilderness for 40 years, and God provided everything they needed. Everything they needed. So this was the celebration of that. And so they were also looking forward to that promised messianic age when everybody, all the nations would flow to this city. This festival was unique because it was for all people. It wasn't just for the Jews. It wasn't just for those, those Jewish people that, um, back, in, back in Moses' time when he, when he gave this the, all the feast laws, um, it wasn't just for the Jewish people. He said, bring all the people, all the foreigners, all of those living among you, and we're gonna celebrate this together. And so that, that is a cool, cool thing, that they were there, all the people were there celebrating. So. Another crazy thing, the chapter before this that had happened is many of Jesus' followers had just deserted him. And so I find it very interesting um, that he, w- he had been in, um, in Capernaum, in a synagogue, talking, and he starts, he starts talking about this. Hold on, I'm going to get my Bible out. He starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, which... In my opinion, if I was there, if I was among those people in that crowd listening to that, if I had like signed up and said yes, I'm going to be on your church plant team, Jesus, and then Jesus starts talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, I'd be going, I th- I think that I'm going to sign off. I think I'm going to go my way. Um, but that's that's me. I don't. Know. Some people would would would. Um, would really, but it was talking. He was literally not talking about eating his flesh, obviously, and drinking his his blood, obviously. He was talking about life. He was talking about his life and us needing to take in his life so that we could live life. And so um, it says, let me. I'm going to read this for you. John 6:60. 6, uh, On hearing it, many of his disciples said, "This is a hard teaching. <laughs> you think? Um, who can, who can accept it?" Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Oh gosh, I love Jesus. Does this offend you? What if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. And then I'm gonna skip down to verse 66. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Uh, And then Jesus said, you do not want to leave too, too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Uh, I'm going to pause right there for a minute. Have you ever, um, in what, there have been many times in my life where I have said this is, I don't know if this is worth it. Just being honest, guys. Um. Living a life serving Jesus, wholeheartedly saying yes to Jesus, is not the simplest life. It's not the simplest life. the word of God tells us it's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. It will be fulfilling. It will be full of life. It will be full of peace. It will be full of joy if you allow it to be. And so I've had that thought in my head, like, where would I go? what would I do? Because then he says, you have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I can't unknow what I know about Jesus. I cannot unknow and unexperience what I've experienced in him. And so I I have found myself in that place like, yeah, this is hard, but what else would I do? What else, who else would I serve? There is no one else. Because he is life, he is breath. He is all that we need. He should be our all in all, amen. So many Jesus, many of his followers had just deserted him, um, but so that's kind of painting the scene. Like that's kind of where we are when when he's in the temple um, when this happens when they these Pharisees and these religious religious men <laughs> um, bring this woman in as he's teaching. Ah, oh, man. Okay, so then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery, um, made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, I'm just reading again because I want you guys to hear it. Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. So in this, they're trying to set this trap and if Jesus says, let her go, then it seems like he's breaking the Mosaic law. And if he says, execute her, then this is the crazy part that I just learned, he's actually breaking Roman law. So he's stuck in the middle because the Romans Romans had outlawed execution for religious reasons, um, which seems crazy. we don't, I'm, I'm so glad we don't live in that time. But <laughs> there'd be a lot of executions. But the thing, the thing with this is that um, in order to execute somebody for the crime of adultery, there had to be two witnesses that agreed completely. Their stories separately had to be completely flawless and exactly the same. So as a practical matter, hardly anybody was ever executed because, because adultery is a private sin. And so, and so what they're wanting to do is just embarrass Jesus publicly. And they, so they do it in the most public way. They bring this woman in and stand her in the middle of everybody. And so Jesus <laughs> the, Jesus does what he does, and I'm gonna get to that in a second. Um, but these religious men, they were supposed to be the most learned And the most high up in all of the Jewish ways. And so they were using this woman as a weapon against Jesus. They didn't care for true righteousness. They didn't care. Um, But what they wanted to do um, was trap him. And they wanted to do it in this crazy public way. And the crazy part is, is that they do this but they don't bring the man. And so there's, it's steeped in hypocrisy, which is as well a sin um, in Jewish custom. So I think it's quite possible that the man was among them. That's just my, my thought. I think it's quite possible that this man that they used to trap this woman was among them. And so they, um, they, they bring this woman. And so they can see clearly These these Pharisees, these religious people, they can clearly see the sin in others. But they don't see what's in their own hearts. They can't see it. And so Jesus had just taught about this in Matthew. It says in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye, you hypocrite. Yeah. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, Jesus ignores them. Jesus um, says, but Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. "Um, You know... Jesus despises a religious spirit, absolutely despises it and I think it's so easy um, i I grew up in church. it is so easy to get to that place, and there's no condemnation believe me there's no condemnation it's so easy to get to that place um but i but for those of you who who don't even know maybe what what's a religious spirit, what the heck is she talking about um I'm just going to rattle off a list. And I, I, I kind of want you just to um, maybe just think about these things and kind of check your hearts. Like, is that, God, is that in me? You know, as I was doing this, I was like, God, let that not be in me. Let that not be in our church, God. A religious spirit views God as a cold, harsh, distant task maker. A religious spirit places emphasis on doing outward things. A religious spirit develops traditions and formulas to accomplish spiritual goals. A religious spirit becomes joyless, cynical, and hypercritical. A religious spirit becomes prideful and isolated. A religious spirit develops a harsh, judgmental attitude towards sinners. Let Let that not be us, guys. A religious spirit rejects progressive revelation and refuses to embrace change. A religious spirit persecutes those who disagree with their self-righteous views and becomes angry whenever the message of grace threatens to undermine their religiosity. Let it not be us. Jesus, let it not be in me. Ever. And, and God, check our hearts. Check our hearts, God. God. You know, Jesus is not interested in satisfying your version of religion. He's not interested in it. He always wants to get at the heart of every situation, of every person. It's all about your heart. Um, And He doesn't care if that offends you or not. He doesn't care. Um, He came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill that and to spread grace. And so, if there are things in you that rise up, um, at, you know, thinking about that list, if there's things in you that rise up, then maybe, maybe you just need to talk to the Lord about it and say, God, I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be me. So, there's another cool part about this section, um, section about Jesus writing in the dust. So... In the temple, in the tabernacle, um, he would have been in like an out outdoor courtyard. But it would have been because um, that was that was where the women the women were only allowed to go certain a certain distance inside the 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 tabernacle the, temp, the temple. But there would have been um, there would have been stone or marble or something laid underneath, and so and so it was outdoors. So there would have been dust. There would have been dirt. Um, you know, wind blowing desert-ish, you know, Middle Eastern areas. And so I find it very interesting. I love, I love that this, um, this actually is very deliberate about talking about how Jesus is writing um, on the ground. And so there's, there's a couple other times um, in the Old Testament that, it, that references God's finger writing. There's two times where um, Moses got the Ten Commandments where God wrote with his finger on the tablets. He wrote one time and then Moses went down from the the mountain and smashed the tablets because the people had decided that they were gonna do it themselves and they built their own little idol and they're like, well who are we gonna worship? You know, so they built a golden a golden calf, they melted down all their jewelry. I just can you imagine like that kind of scene? I feel <laughs> we've talked about this. I we've never been to Burning Man. <laughs> But I—that's what I imagine. I've seen pictures. I've seen. um, I've heard stories. I—I've never. I've obviously never been there. We haven't lived here very long. But that's—that's kind of the scene I imagine. Moses coming down from the mountain, and these people, worshiping a golden calf, and and you know all the things that they were doing, and um, and so Moses gets angry and. And breaks them. And God's like, okay, you need to come back up. I'm going to do it one more time for you. And so he goes back up the mountain and um, God writes, again, the Ten Commandments for him. Um, and so that's, that's the second reference in the Old Testament of God writing with his finger. And the third one is um, God wrote on the wall a judgment on King Belshazzar. And he didn't know what it said. So he had to find, and all of his magicians and all of his people couldn't couldn't tell him what it said, so he had to find somebody, and somebody mentioned, Daniel, Daniel can do this. And so it was a judgment on King Belshazzar's um, life. And he died, I believe, that night. <laughs> but, so there's the law, the law, and judgment. And so this, here we have Jesus bending down below this woman showing his humbleness showing his servitude like i'm here i'm here to serve you i'm here to serve you gosh we could learn so much from this he bends down this woman standing in the middle of everybody and he's writing on the ground i have always wondered what he's writing and there's so many there's so many things out there that have you know ideas and thoughts on what he was writing but honestly I don't think it's that big of a deal what he was writing because he accomplished what he needed to accomplish, right? And one day we'll know what he was writing and we'll understand when we get to heaven and we're, you know, we know. But, but for now, I just wonder, like, what were you writing, God? But here we have Jesus writing, not once but twice. He gets down. And so Jesus came to fulfill the law, that law. Thou shalt not commit adultery was in that law, that original law. And so he came to give grace and forgiveness of all of our wrongs and all of our sins. Is that a coincidence that he was writing on the ground? I don't think so. I think the Bible's pretty stinking deliberate. I think it's very intentional. Um, but whatever he was writing is very intentional, but it frustrated, frustrated those Pharisees, those religious people. And so they kept asking, it says angry, they kept insisting that he answer their questions. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. So what what he's saying here is, all right, let's do it. Let's execute her. But let's do it right. Because there's two of you here who actually witnessed this but you didn't bring me the man. So, (laughs) he's saying basically, okay, we'll do this, but I need two of you to come here because then you're now guilty of, of your hypocrisy. And so, Jesus makes it plain. He makes it plain. Whoever the witness is, whoever is the one who has the right to cast the first stone, he is as guilty as that woman. Then the men walked away, one by one, um, oldest to the youngest, and I, there's, so, there's so many more things and messages that we could pull out of this, but I'm gonna pass by that one. Um, and then verse 10, until finally Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, dear woman, uh, I mean, his heart, his heart for this precious woman, dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, then I certainly don't condemn you either. Going from, from now on, be free from a life of sin. She knew she was guilty. But how, how amazing to have that kind of experience with Jesus face-to-face, face-to-face, that she goes from a death sentence to life death sentence and forgiveness to life and and be free. The woman found refuge in connection with Jesus that day. Let Jesus be your refuge. You may be living a life that you know you are not supposed to be living. It's time to let it go. It's time to walk away from that life to a life that is free The word free, be free from a life of sin. That freedom goes into every part of your life. This woman, (laughs) precious, precious woman. So um, I grew up in the church. I think I already said that. I grew up in the church. I, um, I grew up loving Jesus. But in my high school years, I... I had some moments where, and I even told my, my, mom, my mom this, and she reminds me all the time, um, I just need to make my own mistakes. Young people, so foolish. <laughs> um, and so I was hanging out with some friends one night, and they decided we were gonna go to this, this other person's house, and I got there, and there was, it was like a party. And I'm, I'm just not naturally a party person, I'm naturally pretty intro, introverted, but it was a party. And you know, I had not been making great choices in my life. At this time. And I got I got there and just you know that feeling in the pit of your stomach, like this is wrong. I'm not supposed to be here. Like this is not. Mm-mm, no. And it it was just too it was too wild, it was too weird, it was too too, too just just gross for me. And I um and thank God, thank God, God's grace over my life has been beautiful. Um I walked into the bathroom and locked myself in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror. And God spoke to me so clearly, so clearly as I was looking at myself in the mirror. And he said, if you knew what I created you for, you would not be here. And I just want to say, when you have, <laughs> thank you. When you have an encounter with Jesus, it doesn't have to be that Specifically, but when you have an encounter with Jesus, where you are face to face, like this woman was face to face with Him, when you have that encounter with Jesus, you will be confronted with the things that are in you that are not of Him. They will come up, they will come out, and they—you will be confronted with them because He is holiness, and when there's things inside of us that are not holy, they, they, there's a conflict there's a conflict so are you wrestling with something today when you come into the presence of God like this like with the amazing worship we had this morning when you when you come into his presence is there something wrestling inside of you it's time to walk away from that life Jesus sent her away with a call to stop her sin he didn't say it was okay He didn't excuse it, but he challenged her to change. He didn't accept it. I think sometimes, especially now, we have, um, we have dumbed down sin. And we've said, we've kind of just brushed over it and said, well, that's okay. You guys, sin separates us from god don't don't find yourself there romans 8:1 beautiful 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 verse jesus told this woman i'm not i don't condemn you either romans 8:1 says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, remember, we read about that earlier, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. And what we read earlier in John 6:63, 6, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. And Jesus did, Jesus did a similar thing another time with a prostitute in Luke in Luke 7:36 and I don't think I have time to read it. What time do I need to be done? Okay, I don't even know. <laughs> so Luke 7, 36 says, what? I'm, I'm, it's a story guys, you guys ready for this? I just have a little bit more. Um, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And we know, we know about these Pharisees. I'm sure there were some good ones, but there was some works, <laughs> there was some, Oh, Okay, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and reclined at the table. Now there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. And when she found out that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began wetting his feet with her, hair, with her tears and wiping with her hair and respectfully kissed his feet as an act of signifying both affection and submission and anointed his feet, anointed them with perfume. Perfume. Now when Simon the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, <laughs> he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. That she is a notorious sinner, an outcast devoted to sin. Yeah. Never label somebody. Never label somebody as a hopeless cause, that they are devoted to sin, as long as you have breath in your lungs, everybody, everybody can change. Everybody. Oh, where was I? Sorry. Jesus answering said to the Pharisees, Simon, I have something to say to you. And sweet Simon, he replied, Teacher, say it. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. When he had no means of repaying the debts, he freely forgave them both. So which of them will be loved more? Will love him more, sorry. Simon answered, the one I take it for whom he forgave more. Jesus said to him, you've decided correctly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you failed to extend to me the usual courtesies shown to a guest. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, demonstrating her love. You gave me no welcoming kiss, but from the moment I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not even anoint my head with ordinary oil, but she has anointed my feet with costly and rare perfume. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much but he who is forgiven little loves little then he said to her your sins are forgiven I'm going to skip that and then Jesus said to the woman your faith in me has saved you go in peace free from the distress experienced because of sin forgiven much love much forgiven little love little but the crazy thing is here is that if we really realized how much we are forgiven for we will love much it's when we don't realize the depth that we've been forgiven for that's when the love is limited so what has he done for you where has he brought you from? What has he saved you from? I think sometimes it's important for us to go to that place where we realize not not and not wallow in the shame of it because that's not that's not what we what we're supposed to live in. But to but to go to that place where we say wow. Where in the world would I be if he had not encountered my life? and set me free and challenged me to change and challenged me to walk a path that is free from sin. Where would I be? I think sometimes it's, it's a healthy place because you, that love comes racing back in and you're like, wow, thank you, Jesus. The depth of love is so great. Now, Luke 12, 48 says, when someone has been given much, much will be required. Now, it's time to extend that forgiveness to other people. This is where it gets very real and very complicated. Because when we're forgiving somebody else, it's because somebody hurt. In some cases, very excruciatingly. In some cases, very deeply. In some cases, very horrifically. But the Bible is clear about forgiving those who wrong us. It's clear. Matthew 6:14 says, and when you pray, make sure you forgive the faults of others so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you. Mark 11:25 25 says, and whenever you stand praying, if you find that you carry something in your heart against another person, release him and forgive him so that your father in heaven will also release you and forgive you of all your faults. Ephesians 4:32 says, but instead be kind and affectionate toward one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Yes, yes. Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of christ's love you know god created us in such a way that it's actually unhealthy physically unhealthy to not forgive physically causes stress on your body to not forgive and to hold that bitterness and to hold that anger there's an article on unforgiveness from the Mayo Clinic called Forgiveness. Your health depends on it. Does not quote God, does not quote the Bible. This is, this is like, this is how we're made. It says whether in a simple spat with your spouse or a long held resentment toward a family member or friend, and I'm gonna throw in there, anyone who has wronged you. Any, any if you're holding a grudge, If you're holding bitterness, anger, resentment toward anyone, anything, could be an organization that wronged you. It says, unresolved conflict can go deeper than you may realize. It may be affecting your physical health. The good news, studies have found that the act of forgiveness can reap huge rewards for your health lowering the risk of heart attack, improving cholesterol levels and sleep, and reducing pain, blood pressure, levels of anxiety, depression, and stress. And research points, this is crazy. Yes, we know this, right? But this is like, now science is proving it. And research points to an increase in the forgiveness health connection as you age. That's awesome. There's an enormous physical burden to being hurt and disappointed. Um, but chronic anger puts you in a fight-or-flight mode, which results in numerous changes in heart rate, blood pressure, and immune response. Those changes then increase the risk of depression, heart disease, diabetes, among other conditions. Forgiveness, however, calms stress levels, leading to improved health. Forgiveness is not just saying the words— It is an active process in which you make a conscious decision, a conscious decision to let go of negative feelings, whether that person deserves it or not. It's not for that other person, it's for you. We release for us. God can deal with what they did. We release so that we can be free, so that we don't have to walk with that chain. That chain is heavy. It's a heavy chain, it's a heavy burden to carry somebody else on your shoulders. Unforgiveness is like a cancer that can eat you from the inside out. It's like drinking poison and expecting that person to die. You holding onto a grudge or bitterness or resentment and anger towards somebody says, yes, you hurt me, but I'm gonna continue letting you hurt me. I'm gonna continue allowing that hurt in my life and it's gonna control me. So you hurt me once, but I'm gonna carry that so it's gonna continue to hurt me. It's time to let go. It's time to forgive and move forward. Past your past, get past your past so that you can walk into the future, into the amazing purpose and destiny that God has for you. I could talk about this for a long time, but I know I'm running out of time. But we forgive because we've been forgiven. I am forgiven. I love deeply, so I'm able to forgive. If you boil it down, it's that simple. Yes, it's challenging, but it's that simple. The forgiveness we received when we first said yes to Jesus was never meant to stay with us. It was meant to flow through us. It is a beautiful transaction of grace that we need to extend to others. So if you consider yourself to be a Christian or a Jesus follower in this place, hopefully you already know the power of being forgiven in your life. And if this is new to you but there is something in your heart that's kind of like tugging at you, that's the Holy Spirit and that's okay. But I just wanna let you know there's freedom. There's freedom and there's forgiveness for you. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there's any path of pain that I'm walking on, and lead me back to Your glorious, everlasting ways—the path that brings me back to You. So there's actually three, three groups of people that the Lord just put on my heart. I want to, I want to pray for three different groups of people. Um, that first group are are people who are in here who would just be honest and say, "Yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I know the forgiveness." I know the the grace of forgiveness, but I have not been living worthy to the calling on my life. So that's the first group of people that I want to pray for. It's time. Second group of people I want to pray for are those who are deeply struggling with unforgiveness. It has caused bitterness. It has affected everything you see. It has colored, it's been the lens for how you view everything in your life. And I truly believe that right here there's, I truly believe that the power of God here this morning can help you let go and move on. And it might be a daily thing. It might be a daily thing where you have to get up every day and say, I forgive that person until it becomes, until it becomes the reality and the truth that you are walking in. But I wanna pray for it. those, the, I, I wanna pause there. Those two, those two groups of people, I'm not gonna make anybody raise their hand for that. But if you identify with either one of those two groups, Jesus, I just pray right now for those who have not been living a life worthy of the calling they have received on their lives. You may not even be, you may not even be doing anything crazy, but you know you've been called and you're not doing it. Jesus, I pray right now that you would go to the core of who we are in this place, Jesus, and that you would move on the hearts of people, that they would know it is time to move in to that calling that they have received on their lives, that they know that there is something better for them. And Jesus, I pray right now for those who are struggling and have been struggling to forgive. You know, maybe you don't even know how. Maybe the pain is so great, and you just just carry that burden around, that burden of pain. But you've allowed it to go so deep into your heart that it has affected your entire life. Is here this morning to help you let go of that, to cut that chain, and to say, Make that, that person does not deserve it, but I deserve it. I deserve to be free.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Convo Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, do us a favor subscribe to this podcast, rate, and review us on iTunes and share our podcast with your family, friends, and team members. If you live in the Reno area, come and be a part of Convo Church. Check us out on convochurch.com and follow us on social media at Convo Church. We'll see you next time here on the Convo Church podcast.